Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross. Good evening and welcome to Haunted Nights Live. We are your hosts, authors Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross. This is a broadcast of Authors on the Air Global Radio Network. If you're listening online, please click the follow button. For more information on the show, you can visit Authors on the Air on Facebook, Twitter, and at AuthorsOnTheAir.com. To learn more about us, your hosts, visit our websites at TamaraThorne.com and AlistairCross.com. You can also give our Haunted Nights Live page a like on Facebook, visit our mutual blog at thornandcross.wordpress.com, or you can follow us on Twitter. You can find us at at thorncross. Uh, special thanks to W.J. Pierce for creating and performing our music. This is a copyrighted trademark podcast owned solely by the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, LLC. Um, first thing that I'd like to talk about is we, uh, Tamara and I, uh, need to mention that we're appearing at, uh, JEA Palooza, which is a virtual con for readers. Uh, the con runs through January 11th, and there are lots of writers in attendance. If you're a reader, a writer, or a little of both, uh, check it out at jeapaloza.com. You'll never know who you might find in the chat room. Um, there are giveaways uh, if you go check it out. And in fact, if you go there at uh, jeapalooza.com and click on our Thorn and Cross Haunted Nights Live page, you can enter to win an e-copy of our own, The Ghost of Ravencrest, Darker Shadows. Uh, Darker Shadows is the omnibus containing the first three installments of our serial novel, The Ghost of Ravencrest. Um, we are currently hard at work on the fifth installment, and we should have that out by the end of the month. Uh, finally, we hope everyone had a happy new year, and we hope that 2015 uh, turns out to be even better than 2014. And on that note, Tamara Thorne and I uh, have been working on our New Year's resolutions. So before we introduce our guest, I would like to announce them. We both would. Are you there, Tamara? I'm there at last. All right. Um, <laughs> she she was having internet problems, and so I far I think we're in the clear. <laughs> we are. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, my first resolution is I will only use my baby taser on children who are actually being obnoxious in restaurants and theaters. I won't use it just to amuse myself anymore. I promise. Nice. That's that's very kind of you. <laughs> uh, I know. My my first one is I will not overdose on vitamins that look like candy, which I can and have done, by the way. Oh, those sugarless <laughs> those gummy bears. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Uh, that's one time when sugar is better. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, my next one is I'm going to clean my house at least once every six months, even if it doesn't need it. Oh, nice, nice. My my second one. I will somehow, some way, punch a Kardashian in the neck. I don't know which one, but I've had it. I'm done. <laughs> one of them's gonna get it. Look <laughs> for me too. Um, All right. <laughs> I only recently figured out who they were, actually. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so I'm going to stop reading pornography to my cats because they never listen. Instead, I'm going to read it to the neighborhood children. That's a good idea. You know, everybody should know how to read. I think that that's, you know. Yeah. <laughs> public service Exactly. Uh, my next one on the list, uh, I will make sure the door on the front porch doesn't respond to the weight of children. I will only dispose of adult missionaries in this fashion, which I love that one. That's, that's, that's I love really it. That's kind of cool. It, it, yeah, it, it, it is. We're sort of on a be kind of children kick this year, aren't we? We are. We're we're really really good people. <laughs> we are. Um, uh, okay. I my next one, and I hate doing this, but I know how much Alistair hates it. I'm going to make him stop introducing me to other people by saying, "No one puts baby in a corner." <laughs> I like doing that. <laughs> oh well, let's let's skip that one then. You 
think you All right, yeah, take that it. one off the list. I, I refuse All right. to stop doing that. It's okay. gone. I'll stop putting toenails in Caesar salad or something instead. Okay, do something like that. Although yeah. it's really All, right. All right. My next one, this one is this is a really big step for me. Uh, I I will stop wearing my bonnet to book signings and signing my books as Laura Ingalls Wilder the Third. They don't seem to like that so much when I do that, and it's probably not fair to the. Yeah. Yeah. So That's I will no longer be doing that. <laughs> okay. Well, my last one is I'm going to stop recommending Pepsi and Pop Rocks to get rid of annoying feminine itching. I've been getting in trouble <laughs> doing that. Ew. All right. Pop Rocks All right. Is and- best. <laughs> I bet it does work though, actually. No. <laughs> Probably fun. Right. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe. I have no idea. <laughs> All right. I uh, the last on, yeah. The last on my list is I will stop taking my dates to Costco for a dinner of free samples. Instead, I will buy them a dollar fifty hot dog and a soda. I think that's fair. It is. Those are really good hot dogs too. That's all oh, I know. Drink, so, so, Sweet. No. See, see. All the ladies love all you drink, Co. Mm -hmm. All right. Okay, that being done, (laughs) we hope that you guys uh, are doing well so far on your New Year's resolutions. We're eight days into the year. And, you know, so hopefully we're all still going pretty good and strong. Um, That being said, I would now like to introduce tonight's guest. Um, It is no other than Chet Williamson. He is the author of over 20 books, the latest of which are Defenders of the Earth of the faith and hunters among his other published novels are second chance and ash wednesday Soulstorm, lowland rider rain and mccain's dilemma um also over 100 of his short stories have appeared in such magazines as the new yorker playboy esquire and the magazine of fantasy and science fiction uh, Figures in the Rain, a collection of his short stories, received the International Horror Guild Award for Outstanding Collection. Um, we are very, very thrilled to have this guy. Welcome, Chet Williamson. Hello. Hello, guys. Nice to be here. Hello. It's a great to have you after all these years. And I, I want to just break in, first of all, because Ash Wednesday, your horror novel from, was that the 80s or 90s? Yeah, um, the 80s. The 80s. That is one of my all-time favorite horror novels. Oh, well, thank you. Thank and you. It's, I love it. And it, it's not about a single haunted house, but an entire town. And I wonder where you got the idea for it in those blue ghosts. Actually, that, that town of, uh, of Marydale is based on my hometown of Elizabethtown, where I actually still live. And uh, it's modeled after that. The... The idea for the story came from wanting to write uh, a passive horror story in which the, all of the action would come from people's reaction to a supernatural occurrence of some kind. But they wouldn't, things wouldn't be coming after you. Ghosts wouldn't be walking around and talking and jumping out and scaring you uh, or things like that. So uh, the supernatural presence is is absolutely passive. It doesn't. Uh, it doesn't move. It doesn't change, and um, the the action comes as the result of the townspeople's exposure to these blue, semi-transparent, unmoving spirits of the dead, um, usually found in the places where they died. So oh, there wow. you go. That was brilliant. Yeah. One of the scariest books I've ever read. Good. And this, this one is Ash Wednesday? Ash Wednesday, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's available. Most of your older books are available at Amazon or all e books yeah. format? Yeah. Uh, Ash Wednesday, as well as most of my backlist, is available you know, at the Kindle store from uh, from Crossroad Press. The interesting thing about Ash Wednesday is that that particular book, um, editor at Tor, um, uh, did not want the last chapter included in the book. He he preferred it to end before uh, what I felt was the last chapter. So when we brought the ebook out and also the audio book, um, 
it has the final chapter in there, which I think gives some closure. I could understand why he uh, why he wanted that to happen. And when uh, I acquiesced, uh, because it was just like the second book I had sold, it was a two-book deal, and I was pretty new. I, you know, today I probably would have fought it a little bit, but uh, but it was an okay decision, I think, on his part. It's just that it was one oh. that I didn't really agree with. Yeah. I so see. if anyone has the the first edition hardcover or the paperback, they'll they'll see that it differs from the uh, from the ebook now with you know, 20% more ending. Yeah. I'm nice. going to have to get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like resolution. <laughs> so when did you, uh, you said, uh, you know, uh, when when did you first actually get published? Actually, it was, uh, my first short story appeared in 1981, and that was uh, in the Twilight Zone. Um, oh, wow. I sold the story to Ted Klein, uh, who was the oh. editor then, and Twilight Zone magazine had just started and uh yeah that was my first professional sale i had i had been a member of um of an amateur press association and had a few pretty lousy stories uh published in in my own little fanzine that that i would contribute uh to the apa <laughs> every quarter or so but uh but yeah that was the first uh first really really real story of mine i must have read you before i knew you then wow yeah i was <laughs> You were what? Nice. I was glued to that magazine, so I must have read Oh, that okay. Yeah. Yeah, because I, I had a lot of stories published uh, in there when when Ted was uh, was editor of that. That's actually the first, I think, where I read a lot of, uh, of, of writers who are, you know, fairly well-known from that period today, like Joe Lansdale. Um, I think I was introduced oh. to Joe uh, in that, in the magazine, and, uh, and a lot of other guys who are, who are still friends today. Wow, Very I nice. take my old copies out. Yeah, it was a great magazine. So, I, I I miss that one. Yeah, it was. Yeah. So, wow, 1981. What would you say is the biggest uh, change in your writing uh, since then until now? In in my writing or in writing in general? Yeah, in your writing. How In, in what my ways writing. do you think that you've developed? Yeah. Um, I've I've kind of back back then when I started out writing. Um, I I decided to begin by by writing a page a day, no matter what, uh, and then I upped that like the second year to two pages a day, and I wrote tons of short stories to begin with. I I probably wrote for about maybe for three or four years before I I started anything longer than a short story. But I was always turning out short stories back then, and now I think as that I'm older and have been in the field for for such a long time, um, the the ideas don't come as quickly. I mean, they come, but I look at them and I go, eh, you know, that I've dealt yeah. with that, or it it takes really something more now to to excite me and get me to the point of wanting to to write a story or a novel, uh, for that matter. So its inspiration, I think, comes a little harder now, just because I don't think back back in those days everything was worth writing about, and and now it's not. You know, it's just no, that's been done. I don't want to do that again. You know, I you know, or so and so did dealt with that. I don't want to deal with that. It's we're both it's, blown away by short story writing because neither of us can do it. <laughs> that's just mm. true. It's true. We I, I had to do. Yeah, I had to write a short story for a for a class that I was taking, and I I'm not kidding when I say I thought it was harder than writing an entire book. Yeah, it is. It's it's hard to write a short story because you you know every every word every sentence has to go toward that particular effect what you're going after. Um, I love novella length. Um, yeah. Because it's like you can you can take what could be a short story idea and expand it and not have to worry about the padding that, that often becomes necessary with, with a novel. Um, yeah, I, I, I adore novella length and you don't often get a chance to work in it. Unfortunately. Um, yeah. that's one thing about eBooks now though. Um, I, th- I think it's more open to, to writing a novella. 
Although you'll probably get those people who say, oh, man, I, I paid my dollar ninety nine, and this wasn't even a full novel. It's like, oh, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah. We've run into that because we're doing a serial novel, and the last mm-hmm. one was novella length. And uh, mm-hmm. we still we make it very clear that this is an installment book. But, oh, well, why was that so short? Um, they're yeah. really long short stories. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I I wrote uh, a novella called The Story of Noichi the Blind, which I adored doing, and it was one of my favorite things. And uh, and another novella that is going to be reprinted in uh, a short story collection that's going to be coming out this year. And uh, yeah, I just I I just adore that length. I'd I'd love to write more right. in the novella length. Nice. Tell us about some of your latest projects. Okay. Um, I have actually two collections coming out this year. Uh, one is uh, called The Night Listener, uh, The Night Listener and Others, uh which is sort of an old Arkham Housey kind of sounding title. Um that's going to be from PS Publishing. Pete Crowther uh in the UK is doing that. And uh it has a an introduction by RC Matheson who was actually the guy who who talked to me and said, "Hey, have you had a, a short story collection published since Figures in Rain? And I said, well, no. He said, you should, you should do it. So uh, that he, he had me contact PS Publishing, and they were very open to it. So, so that will be coming out soon, and R.C. wrote the introduction to that. And then um, I have a little, a little blue book of bibliomancy, which will be uh, coming out from Borderlands Press this year as well. And that's sort of a... Uh, they're in their little series, uh, so it's about twenty-five thousand words of of various things. And there's a uh, one piece of new fiction. There's a a play that's based on uh, Noichi the Blind, sort of a Japanese puppet play. Um, some other things, some tributes to other writers, and um, oh, geez, a, a few reviews of uh, book reviews and things that I've written that I just thought would be fun to collect. And uh, what I'm actually working on right now is uh, is Psychosanitarium, which is the first uh, sequel to Psycho since Robert Block wrote his. Um, nice. <laughs> yeah. So so that that was great, and it's been done through the Block Estate, and it'll be uh, be out from St. Martin's uh, oh. sometime after I finish it. So so you yeah. So you I'm are... having a lot of fun with that. So you're seriously continuing the the story of Norman Bates for real? Yes. Yeah. That is this, awesome. This occurs this occurs yeah. right after Robert Block's Psycho ends. Block wrote uh three psycho books. He wrote Psycho in nineteen fifty nine, I think it was. And mm-hmm. then uh Psycho Two, which had nothing to do with the movie Psycho Two. It was a completely yeah. different narrative track in, I think, 1982, and then wrote a, a book called Psycho House in 1994, I believe, just a few oh, wow. years before he died. Yeah. And uh, but, but this occurs between Psycho and Psycho 2. This has, uh, it takes place in, in the state hospital in which we find Norman at the, at the end of Psycho. And it nice. is Norman's first year um, there in the in the hospital. Nice. So, needless to say, strange things start happening. So, so now, how no, does, I, this, you know, does this? Things happen do you start get happening with Norman? Right. Do, do you get? Do you get? Do you get? Um, how much creative, you know, reign do you have? How is the, How does this work? This is fascinating to me. Okay, I was I was contacted uh, by Macmillan Entertainment, Brendan Deneen uh, at Macmillan Entertainment, and he was working with the Block Estate, and wanted to do an official sequel. And uh, the agent who uh, Rich Henshaw, who handles the Block Estate, had uh, had recommended me. Had read some of my my other work. And uh, they offered, you know, me to do this, and it, it, it was the basic idea that that this would be Norman's first, you know, like right after the uh, the uh, events of Psycho, and murders would start, people would start dying or disappearing in in the state hospital, and Norman, of course, would somehow be involved. Right. And, uh, that was pretty much what what I had, and uh, and I I uh, worked with Brendan, talked to him about you know the the uh, um, an outline. I I I'm I'm a real heavy outliner, 
and especially for something like this, which is almost as much of a mystery um, as it is a straight-ahead horror thing, um, I, I really felt it necessary to, to plot it out in, in a lot of detail. So that was approved by Macmillan and by, uh, by the Block Estate. So oh, wow. uh, so now I'm now I'm writing on it, uh, writing it and it's got about I'm about 50,000 words in at this point and uh nice. so yeah, so. actually have something approved by the Block Estate come mm-hmm. out of yeah. the movie made nothing on. Yeah, so uh, I, I'm sorry I didn't quite catch that. The, oh, the movies he was passed over because they would have had to pay him a lot. And, oh. you know, so now this is wonderful. Nobody's more yeah. qualified than you to follow up on him. Well, it, how it, does it how do really... you feel about? Sorry about that. How do you feel about? No, ta- I have to. How do you feel about taking? Are you, do you feel stressed out? <laughs> you're, um, you're, you're no, no, not really. Because I, it's funny. Block Block was one of my primary influences. Um, I I read Psycho probably when I was around twelve years old, and my parents took me to the movie. And when I was when I was about twelve, and God love them, they they he exposed me to great stuff. But uh, but I read the novel then, and I read uh, collections of short stories in paperback that uh, that uh, block stories, and I just adored them. His and his other novels too. Like I remember reading The Couch, and there was one called Terror. Um, they were terrific because his style was very plain and very character driven and i it it really touched a chord in me and when i started writing um i kind of i kind of uh i don't want to say copied him but i kept him in the back of my mind he and richard matheson probably were the two biggest influences in me i loved lovecraft but i've never really felt that uh, that influenced by by his work interesting oh richard matheson oh, if that's not a good credential, I don't know what is. So, so yeah. people go by. Matheson was great. <laughs> Matheson and Block and uh, and Charles Beaumont. Those those guys were just oh. incredible, incredible writers. Oh, yeah. oh, they all were. And Block was so much fun. I spent mm. three hours talking in puns with him on a road trip one day. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So much fun. Yeah. Yeah, Block was hilarious. I I, uh, oh. I entered. I got to introduce him at a horror writers uh, a banquet one time, and oh. man, what a, what a great time I had with with him. Oh, but yeah, the first time I actually ever met him was at the first World Fantasy Convention in 1975, and you know it was like it was like a dream because I I was sitting in this room, you know, with with you know a hotel room, and you know people were sitting around on the bed with drinks, and you know there's Robert Block and Manly Wade Wellman and Frank uh. Belknap Long and all these guys, and uh. I just grew up reading, and it was like wow. You know, and now most uh, of them, they're almost all gone, unfortunately. And, and now we're the old incredible. guys. <laughs> I, you know, and that that's one thing that, that, you know, I actually, you know, you guys had, you know, the generation before you, some of the best writers. You guys both have actually a, a blurb on your books from uh, Robert Block. That's a pretty big deal. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. I did. Block Block gave me blurbs. I think in my first two books, and uh, nice. and Fritz Leiber, uh, who who oh. I adored too, was one of my gods. Oh. You know, uh, gave uh, Ash Wednesday, in fact, a, a very nice write up in Locus at one time. And uh, yeah, Fritz Fritz was a great guy oh. too. I met him. him before I was published, and I never would talk to people. But I walked up to him because I, he was so old. I knew I'd never see him again, and told mm. him he was oh, yeah. Our Lady of Darkness. And uh, yeah. conjure wife. Oh dear! Beautiful. <laughs> Very nice. Um, if you're just yeah. joining us, we're talking with Chet Williamson, the author of more than 20 novels of suspense, horror, and intrigue. He is currently working on a sequel to The Psycho, and uh, we are thrilled to have him. So, one thing I wanted to ask you about: you mentioned audiobooks. Uh, mm-hmm. You do you you uh, you you read them? You do voices yeah, I, for them. I've recorded, I've narrated uh, a, a number of audiobooks, probably close to three dozen at this point. Um, oh wow! But I've gotten, I've gotten to do some really fun stuff. Um, I did uh, some Clive Barker, um, 
his uh, novel. Oh gosh, now I'm going to forget the. the uh, oh, Cabal. Um, which ah. Nightbreed, the film Nightbreed was based on. I did that one. And I also did my favorite, I got to do my favorite Clive Barker story, which is In the Hills, the Cities. Oh, nice. I love that story, and I got to narrate that one. But, uh, but yeah, I've done, I've done really some fun stuff by Michael Moorcock and Keelan Patrick Burke and uh, David uh, Wilson and uh, Skip Inspector. I did The Light at the End, I narrated that one. Um, Jack Ketchum. I've done two of his books. Charlie Graham. Oh. Yeah. So, and and then some of mine as well. A lot of mine as well. But but I really enjoy that. I I have not been doing it for the past few months since I've been working on Psycho because I wanted to give that all my attention at this point. Well, can I ask a stupid question? Sure. How often do you have to stop and start because you make a mouth you know, like a typo? Oh, um, <laughs> occasionally. Um, you know, I I. I try not to screw up, as everyone does, but but it happens. And what I do, I use a technique called punch and roll, um, which I just I I stop, I back up the the digital sound and punch in from before I, where I made the mistake, and then you know just kind of edit. It's, so it's editing on the on, on the fly, really. I edit as I go, um, <laughs> which I find much easier than to edit later. Oh, that's great. Yeah. yeah, and it's fun. I've done I've done some crazy things. I did a couple of Irving okay. Wallace. I mean, I don't know if anybody remembers him, but but he was a huge bestseller back in like the seventies and eighties. And uh, I did two of his books. I did the uh, two of the the Josie Wales uh, that oh. the uh, Clint Eastwood book outlaw uh, movie, the Outlaw Josie Wales was based or based on, and uh, they were great fun. And yeah, so I get to do a lot of dialect and and stuff. And I come from basically acting. Um, actually, that's how I got started writing, having been an actor. And uh, yeah, so so it's it's really fun. I get it, it, I get to ham it up a lot. That's <laughs> interesting. Theater and movies and everything yeah. else, right? What's yeah, that? I'm you've sorry. Done you do little theater. You talk one at a time. Hold it. Again. Oh, sorry. <laughs> you said you come from acting. Um, uh, you are also yep. an actor on stage and in film. Um, what? What? Tell us about that. What are some of the roles you've done? <laughs> uh, sure. Um, I did. Uh, I've done a lot of classical theater uh, when I was younger, and uh, and still, you know, do occasionally uh, some acting. I'm, I'm a member of Actors Equity, the Actors Union. Um, but uh, I did. I've only done one film, and that was uh, Joe Lansdale's *Christmas with the Dead*, uh, that Tara Lee Langford directed, and uh, we shot that a few years ago down in down in East Texas, and that that was really great fun. Um, Joe was was around for for a lot of it, and uh, it was it, the the height of summer. It was oh my god! Like a, they were having a heat wave. It was like 104 degrees, and I was wearing black clerical robes outside, <laughs> which was really great. Um, and being attacked by zombies, and you know, it, but it, it really was fun. I spent a, about a week down there with it, and and the film is available at uh, uh, at Amazon, the DVD, and uh, yeah, it's 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 really a fun film. Yeah. Do you, do you like to play good guys or bad guys the best? I'm sorry. Do you like to play good guys or villains? Well, I'm Better. I'm really having trouble getting getting. Yeah, my connection's bad. Alistair, you asked. Yeah. Okay. It sounded um, like you, you have gravis rather fast or Sounded like it. Alistair, could you could you repeat that? <laughs> I'm yeah, getting a better it. signal from you. She's asking if you uh, prefer playing good guys or villains. Oh, I think villains are so much more fun. You I know, know right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, and I, I, it's for the same reason that I love to write villains because it's it's like I I don't really feel that that my bad guys are bad guys uh, per se. I mean, they're guys who are misunderstood. It's like I've always said that you know all of us are the heroes of our own lives, and every uh-huh. villain is is that way as well. I mean, they think that they're they're doing what is right for them, uh no matter how horrible their their uh, actions can be. So I always try and find that core 
in uh, in a villain, you know, so-called villain, if I'm acting or or writing about one. Right, right, absolutely. Do you have a favorite villain? Like, is there, um, you know, you mentioned, you know, Psycho and all that, of course, and, uh, you know, the writers that really influenced <laughs> you, but is there a particular villain that, that you, that really inspired you, that you, you draw on? I, I tell you, I think um, that Thomas Harris's Hannibal Lecter is is probably my favorite. Um, yeah. What I would call a villain, and again, I'm I'm not going with the films at this point. I'm just going purely by by the books with the books, and uh, I just I just adored the first three um, books that Harris did. Hannibal Rising, the fourth one. I don't think that it was good. I enjoyed it, but it felt more like uh you know we're we're doing this because we can make some money from it um yeah. but yeah. but even even the last one Hannibal um a lot of people complained about the ending of that book which they changed significantly for the movie and i always felt the ending of that book was just perfect it was what harris wanted and it made perfect sense with um within the context of of the previous two books and the and the characters that he'd created and it's his it's his damn book you know yeah <laughs> you know and yeah. he did what he wanted to do with it and i thought it worked very well I know, that's, a, that's a great villain yeah i mean my own of the the character villains i've created my my favorite is probably the villain of uh of second chance i've I always what I like to do is I like to give the villains uh something with which I can sympathize personally because the the villain of second chance is an ecological terrorist and he is essentially trying to save the world if not civilization he's trying to save the world as as he knows it so things like that that I can relate to I have a lot more fun when I write those characters very cool. Do you oh, find do you find the bad guys easier to write? Um, yeah, actually, yeah, they're more interesting. Yeah, you know? I, I, I agree. They really are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one yeah. thing that I that's one thing I have to agree with. It's uh, it's interesting, but yeah, I I have a much easier time with the bad guys. <laughs> think too much. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, I think oh, you do the good guys. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the good guys can get kind of boring, you know. It's yeah, like, but uh, but I think we all want to be villains sometimes too. I know, right? You know, we just exactly. yeah, because we're <laughs> we're you you know so so bound by society's strictures and rules that every once in a while it's kind of fun to to kick out like that, even in in fictional form. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so there's something else you do too. So you are on top of writing novels and acting and recording audiobooks. Um, you are also a playwright. Let's talk yeah. about that. Yeah, uh, that, that is more an avocation, um, basically, because nobody makes any money in theater, basically, <laughs> essentially. <laughs> um, but, but uh, yeah, about, oh gosh, when was it? Maybe back in 2006, 2005, 2006, uh, there was a playwrights group started in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, uh, near where I live, and uh, doing doing fiction is, as you know, a very solitary kind of thing. But theater is purely collaborative, and uh, you know you can write a play, but you have to depend upon the actors and the director and producers and everything, everyone else, to to bring that that play to life. A, a, a script is essentially a, a blueprint for performance. Right. Um, so. I've written uh, a number of short plays and then a couple of full-length ones as well. And one was uh, uh, given a production, uh, a full production, Lancaster, uh, last May, I think it was, uh, by a group. And uh, it was gr- it was really a lovely experience. I had two terrific actors, a really good director, and uh, it was... <laughs> It had nothing to do with fantasy, really. It, it was based on uh, the playwright Harold Pinter, and his breakup uh, with his first wife, the actress Vivian Merchant, and it was a romantic clef. I mean, they were not called that. It was basically, yeah. you know, based on them. And uh, yeah, uh, no, no intermission. About ran about ninety minutes, um, 
and it, it just was great seeing that thing come to life, you know, something that you've written and, and seeing it done so well and and seeing yeah. the audience's reaction to it. It's it's really fun, really fun. Do you do you and have then another um, play? Hmm? Oh no, go ahead, sorry. Uh, another play that that I had written a full length one called Countenance about uh, World War One, a British soldier in World War One. Uh, that was given a, a staged reading in in November. Um, with uh, it was pretty much pretty much a per- full production, except the the actors had scripts in hand. But uh, we only had about a week to work on that, so that one wasn't quite as polished as a as a full production. But it was it was really worth uh, worth doing for me. It it it's so important. For a playwright to to see their work, um, because you know you you see it on the page, but there's a big difference between that and and what can actually be on the stage, and and it's very illuminating as far as things that you know after I after I saw that I realized that that there were some major changes that I had to make, um, and and so it's it's very beneficial. Interesting. Um, so would you say that that like you've accomplished so much, you have all this stuff going on. What what do you think is your proudest? You know, what was your proudest moment? What's the thing that you're most proud of? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I, I, I don't think that anything ever reached the the level of having sold my first story. Um, I got. Uh, a call actually from from Ted Klein uh, that that he was taking the first story, which was called Offices for Twilight Zone. And after I hung up, now I was alone in the house. Unfortunately, my my son was very young and he was sleeping, and and my wife was away. I think at a rehearsal, uh, symphony rehearsal, and I just I just went nuts. I did, you know, I <laughs> I fell down on the kitchen floor and and did the the woo woo curly curly walk around. Uh, <laughs> Uh, on the floor, and uh, yeah, that nothing has actually touched that. Selling a, a piece to the New Yorker was really incredible, and uh, and there are some some pieces that I've been been very proud of, uh, uh, you know. But uh, but yeah, that that first sale, I think, unfortunately, nothing can can quite touch that first sale. Yeah. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> All right. Well, since we're back on the topic of books, I I have to ask you. You've been at this for a long time, and I think a lot of people, you know, are curious about the direction that the uh, you know publishing industry is going. Yeah. Um. You first got published in 1981. That's that's a while back. I'm sure you've seen a lot of changes, a lot of ups and downs, and a lot of trends come yeah. and go. What What yeah. do you think? How do you see the publishing industry? Uh, well, first of all, what's your take on it right now, and and also how do you see it in the next few years? Yeah, it it is a completely new paradigm. The the past ten years, I suppose, have have made such a huge difference with publishing. Uh, it's it's like Amazon has made publishing available to everyone, but it's also made everything available. And it's not always a, a great thing. It, it's it's harder and harder, I think, to to be recognized for good work. Uh, right. Some of the right. some of the work that I see coming out now, you know, self published stuff. Now, there, don't get me wrong. There's some good self published work out there, but there's also a lot of self published stuff that is just terrible. I mean, it's just right. garbage and because you have no gatekeepers anymore. And Amazon, um, as as democratic as as publishing is under Amazon, it's it's still the the case of the long tail and that's what's essentially changed. There are so many books out there right now, uh millions of them, ebooks. And Amazon doesn't care if a book is good or not. They will publish it because they get a piece of everything. It's it and that's that whole concept of the long tail and and that probably has changed publishing today more than ever. I I I think I think um New York publishing is going to survive, but I think they're really feeling their way right now. It's yeah. it's it's a scary time for everybody, and you know I I think especially like I I really was a mid list writer and and still consider myself a mid list writer, 
and the, 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 it's been hardest on on mid-list writers because it's harder and harder to publish. The publishing industry has gotten more into looking for blockbusters, you know, looking right. for guaranteed yeah. big sales, and anything that edges outside of that is it's going to be difficult to to find a a New York publisher for that. So, right. you know, un, unless you already have a good following, um, it it just gets harder and harder now to to rise above that that ocean of of work out there. Um, most of it pretty mediocre, and it's it's right. hard for for good books to get found. And it's even even the uh, the books that have broken out self self published things that have broken out. It's just pretty dreadful. Uh, you know, some of those are, are pretty pretty bad books. I'm sorry, but I think you know, Fifty Shades of Grey <laughs> is one of the worst pieces of prose that I've ever tried to read. And I've read about fifty pages of that before I finally gave up. Um, but it's just not well written. But it, but still, it doesn't matter because people love it. You know, people are saying their women are the readers are somehow relating to to the story. And that's all that matters. And I think that's what we're going to be seeing more and more of. Um, people who read just purely for story and not for some of the other pleasures of reading that that we we old farts, um, you know, have have come to appreciate. You know, I'm I'm reading. Uh, Right now, I've, I've gone back to uh, to a, a, a writer that I've always loved. I've discovered him in college, Joseph Conrad, and Heart of Darkness oh. has always been one of my my favorite books. And I'm reading Almire's Folly right now, which was his first book, short novel. And you know, I'm I'm really enjoying it. The writing is wonderful, but I'm thinking, you know, this this probably would never get published today. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's just not enough story that keeps, not enough narrative drive that keeps going, and. Uh, yeah, so it's it's kind of it's kind of sad um, the way things have happened. But again, this, you, you know, this is like an old man talking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> now it's better. And do you do you have any do you have any predictions? Like, what are do you have any personal opinions or ideas about where you think it'll it'll be in a few years? The whole I I really have no idea. It's it's the paradigm has changed so much. Um, you know, in just the past five, ten years, that it's it's completely revolutionized publishing. Yeah. Um, e-books yeah. and self-publishing have done. You know, in the old days, if you wanted to self-publish, you paid some vanity press, and and now it's like ninety-five percent of what's coming out is essentially vanity press stuff. Like I said, some of it's yeah. quite good, but but most of it really isn't. And uh, yeah. I, I, I don't know. It's, you know, it, it sort of reminds me of, uh, in a way, of the horror boom of the late 80s. And, um, you know, publishers started bringing out horror novel after horror novel because horror was very hot back then. And then they started bringing out some not very good horror. And, uh, and it just, there was too much. And it flooded the market and... You know, it, and the boom stopped around you know, uh, the early really, 90s. What's you're that? Really right, you're very right about that. The stuff that came out then, mm-hmm. and, oh, uh, another writer and I would read to each other and just fall apart yeah. laughing over yeah. some of the <laughs> Yeah, right. true. But a book that did come out then that you wrote, I want to ask you about, and if you can't hear me completely, I'll have Alistair reiterate, Soulstorm. Now, I read that early on, and I got some really good reviews. It's a classic haunted house novel, yeah. and most of us want to write that novel. I did it with Haunted. You did it with Soulstorm. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. Was, right. was, um, he, he, it's sort of the Shirley Jackson thing. People go yeah. into a haunted house for money to see if they can stay there. Uh, Matheson's version was Hell House, and it was yeah, sort of I love the that book. version. Oh, me too. Yeah. And But your book, Soulstorm, you do the same thing at a mansion called the Pines, and the host is searching for the key to life after death. Mm-hmm. And how did you come to write that? To write Soulstorm? Yeah, it's hard. I was really intimidated at first mm-hmm. about writing a haunted house novel because yeah. look at the competition, Shirley Jackson, yeah. Matheson. Oh, yeah. And, and I kind of decided to do it for fun. Exactly. 
Right. So. Well, you know what? The reason that I decided to write a haunted house novel was because, one, I always loved haunted house novels. Oh. I always loved Haunting yeah. of Hill House and Hell House and The Shining. Mm-hmm. You know, great books. Yeah. But it for your first for a first novel it made sense because you have a very limited cast of characters and you have a very limited sense of place so you know you're not going out the scope is small the scope is small and tight and you can concentrate on character and uh-huh. and that was i think primarily what i was thinking i thought let's let's start by painting on a small canvas yeah. And uh and yeah, it was and it was good for me because I mean if I had if I had, had the idea for for Ash Wednesday, say, which has a whole town and a fairly large cast of characters, uh if I had thought about that for a first novel, I might have floundered, you know, not quite knowing where I was going. But yeah. uh but the haunted house story just is it's a great place I think for for a writer to start, uh, with that with that kind of and you get limited to a house. scope. And one of the characters is the house. How did you see mm-hmm. the house? Uh, how did I How did you see, see the, the house? Yeah, the pines. My particular house, you mean? Yeah. The, the 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 house in Soulstorm. Um uh-huh. yeah, I I wanted, you know, the house to be to be a character essentially. Mm-hmm. And I thought of by having it be sort of a a, a locus for lost souls for for damned souls um that that was what i wanted to do and and the house would then affect the the people play on their weaknesses but you know that's that's really a trope i mean that's that's been used before and it'll be used again and uh so yeah i was i was working on on ground that had already been trod that's certainly true interesting it's it's hard yeah have you done have you done a lot of uh haunted uh house stories since or is that or is it it's... not really haunted house stories. I've done a lot of ghost stories. I yeah. I love uh ghost stories. I, I, I love the old traditional um Edwardian Victorian ghost stories. Yeah. M. R. James, I just adore his work. Um and on a lot of people who wrote like him. A lot of uh, British ghost story uh, people, but I, you know, I, I just wrote actually a short story um, just a few weeks ago when I, I was taking a little, took a little break from from Psycho. I just wanted needed to let it sit for a bit, um, but I wrote a, a you know a ghost story then, and I I love ghost stories as metaphor. You can do so much with it. Um, I'm, I'm actually not a believer in ghosts. But, but so, I so find explain it. Explain what you mean. Explain what you mean about ghosts as metaphor. That's interesting. What does that mean exactly? As metaphor? Yeah, like how so? Like yeah. specifically? Um, you can be, ghosts can can mean so many things. It, they can be so many things. They can be the product of of, uh, of guilt. They can be the product of um, nice. other fears that that someone might have that are not a fear of ghosts. Um, they're they're things that linger, things that linger in the memory, and it's it's funny. I've I've in my writing, uh, specifically in in horror, I've never really written with the intention of scaring the reader. What I want to do is basically lodge a ghost in the reader's mind, so that when the story is over, he or she is going to continue to think about the story and to put that that seed in their mind that that just makes them uneasy. I'd rather have that sense right. of of unease and discomfort than I would, you know, throwing blood in somebody's face. Right. You know, right. I I want them to to remember it um, you know, in the middle of the night and and maybe wake up with a chill. That that frisson um, that term, uh, to me, that's what I'm, I'm usually after, uh, in a, in a supernatural story, just that little chill, that, that realization that there may be more than we know. Um, yeah. And, so and I don't, don't know if that answered the question or not. No, yeah, it does. And you said that you don't, you don't, uh, you, you yourself don't believe. No. Mm-mm. 
No, I'm, I'm pretty much a rationalist, I'm afraid. You've never had but, something happen that you can't explain? No. Um, no, I, I, you know, it's like Thomas Hardy, I think it was, uh, once said that he would give 10 years of his life to see a ghost because then he would know that there was, you know, something after, after life uh, was over and, and he, he wouldn't mind giving up 10 years of that if, you know, he, he knew Boy. that there was a, a life after death. I, I mean, I like to think that there could be, and, and I, I love ghost stories and I kind of enjoy, um, uh, true quote unquote, um, ghost stories. But at the same time, I have very little patience for uh, you know, psychic investigators and, and right. people like that. I, oh. I just don't, you know, it's sort yeah. of poppycock really. And, and, you know, the globes, <laughs> Oh, please, please. You know, I I I love uh, I love Psychop, um, the uh, uh, oh, what does it, what oh, does it stand the, for? But you know, the 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 group that publishes Skeptical Inquirer and yeah. things like that. Yeah, yeah, I like them a lot. <laughs> in fact, I, I well, and I was going to say, in fact, I wrote a paranormal trilogy, The Searchers, and uh, and I. You know, really, my my part of my purpose in that uh, was to to kind of squelch all these hoax kind of things because basically the the people in that are, are in charge of uh, their their goal is to uh, um, you know show up uh, these different supernatural things as as hoaxes and unfortunately they come across something that isn't necessarily um, a hoax. And that's what sort of drives yeah. the story through three books. But yeah, Fun. but actually, Psychop, uh, uh, Skeptical Inquirer, their online thing, they actually reviewed the trilogy and uh, and approved oh. of them. So I was very glad. Nice, <laughs> very, very, very nice. Nice. Um, what is what would you say? Um, you know, it, you've written a lot of books. You have over twenty full-length novels, um, over one hundred short stories. Um, to the listeners out there, what would you say if is there is there one novel or one piece of work that that you're the most proud of that you think um if people picked up and read they they'd get a, a clear idea of, of what you're all about? Yeah, I th- I think I'd I'd probably say second chance. Um it, it's it's one of those indefinable books. It's it's sort of horror but you know, people say, "Well, what is it? Is it mystery? Is it is it fantasy?" It's sort of a time travel, ecological horror fantasy romance. You know, yeah. so yeah, let's let's find a place to file that. Um, <laughs> but, but but basically, it's it's my youth. Um, I went back and and explored my college days with that book, and uh, and it it was about how our idealism, because uh, I went to college in the late 60s, and how our idealism of that time changed and suffered as we grew older. Um, but but it's, um, it's, it's a really strange book, but it's my favorite book, and uh, it, it, it's been as well-reviewed, I think, as any of my books. Um, yeah, so that, that, that one I really love. Nice. Um, you also said uh, uh, one one more thing I'd like to ask you about really quickly is you said that you're a very uh, thorough plotter. Um, mm-hmm. how, how what is your do you have a certain uh, formula and how you do that or I mean is it tell us about your process? Um, yeah, I I generally tend once I get an idea, um, I'll just have a basic idea of of uh, you know a, a fantastic or a supernatural or um, even a uh, you know in my non supernatural non fantasy books um just the basic idea then i'll come up with characters for me characters are the most important thing if if you don't believe it if the reader doesn't believe in the characters if they're if they're wooden or not quite real they're not going to care what happens to them or more importantly what they do um you know, it's like there there are two different things, ways of looking at it. Some people think, "Ooh, what's going to happen next?" And I like right. to think, "Ooh, what is the character going to do next?" You know, right, um, right. 
Yeah, so, so once I have those things down, then I will try to put a plot together and, um, you know, go from piece to piece, from scene to scene, and I'll have the major scenes and the high points and things. You know, I might have a, a 15, 20-page outline uh, by the time I'm done. And it's funny, a lot of writers go crazy when they hear that because they go, well, my God, you know, you've basically already written the book and, and what's really interesting is writing and finding out what happens as you go along. And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, but, you know, that's also kind of like jumping off a cliff and hoping that a hang glider is going to float by. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've read some really good books that I could tell weren't outlined because at the end it's sort of like, a deus ex machina or something <laughs> happens that you go, Oh my, wasn't that convenient? You know, and you knew and you know it's because the reader the, the writer really didn't have the ending in mind when he started the book. So yeah. Oh it yeah. That's hmm? when that's when you blame that's when you blame ghosts or uh witchcraft. That's <laughs> it was yeah. a yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Well, you know, it's funny. It's like Robert Block, I'll go back to Block. He he always said that when he wrote a story, he he would have the last line in mind and then he would write the story backwards. And I went, that's a great way to do it. You know? And I don't mean he, he, I don't think he meant he would actually write it backwards. He would right. construct it backwards and then write it. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, I usually know but, my end before anything else. It's, it's a really good way to work. Yeah, it is. I mean, you know where you're going. And that doesn't mean that you can't be free. That doesn't mean that you can't oh, surprise no. yourself and have your characters surprise you because that happens a lot over. of times. Yeah. Oh, and that's, that's fun. That's, yeah. Yeah, they suddenly do something. They usually change things for mm-hmm. you. Yeah, oh, and it's yeah, always they do. better. But yep. knowing where you're going is is what gives me the confidence. Yeah, yeah, it you know, does. So let, it, it lets me sit down every day and go, okay, today I'm working on this scene that is leading to this, and and then if if like I say, if something changes, and you go, you know, wouldn't it be more interesting if maybe this happened or he did this? Then you do that, and and that's yeah. great. That's fun. Yeah, it is. Interesting. We are about out of we're about out of time, but um, okay. I, in, in closing, um, uh, you've been at this for a long time, and I'm sure you've done a lot of interviews. And um, I would like to ask you if there's anything that uh, you wish people would ask you that you don't get asked and you can't answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes. Yes. Uh, here's a question that anyone who would like to ask me can. Um, would you like to sell me your book for a film? <laughs> nice. Yes, and my answer would be yes. Yeah, sure, go ahead. No. Yeah. <laughs> but well, uh, no, uh, other than that, not really. <laughs> no, okay. no I'm, I'm always happy to answer, you know, pretty much any questions uh, except uh, some, sometimes people would say, "Would you read my book and tell me what you think?" No, I won't read it and tell you what you think. I'll, I'll read yeah. if you would like maybe a blurb or or something like that. But but no, I you know right. I can't right. do that. Yeah. Well, thank you for joining us, and thank you everybody for listening. We have been talking with Chet Williamson, um, uh, author of over twenty novels. And before letting you go, Chet, I just want to say congratulations. Seriously, on um, the psycho sanitarium thing—that's awesome. That's that's really yeah, true. It really is. Well, you can it congratulate is. me when it's when it's done and accepted. Well, it will be. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. then when you're doing book audible books again, I want you for my reader. Ah, yeah. okay. Well, we'll talk about that. <laughs> okay. Right. And come hey, back thanks again. a lot, guys. I really appreciate it. Yes, yes. Thank thanks you. for coming. And thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, until next week, this is Thorn and Cross at Haunted Nights Live. Um, have uh, haunted nights and sweet screams.
Haunted Nights, live with Tamara Thorne and Alistair Cross. <laughs> 